you matter, you matter. And sometimes you only see kids for that certain period of time and then they leave and you have no idea if you made an impact or not. But every day when you show up and you communicate that potential and that worth, when you design moments where students and other teachers like themselves best because of you, in the classroom you get to live a life of significance, not just a life of success. Well, welcome back, everybody. Tom Murray here. So excited for this episode of Leading Through Unprecedented Times. And I'm not going to lie, I am fired up to introduce you to Clint Pulver. Clint is an Emmy award-winning keynote speaker, author, a professional drummer, by the way, but also a dad of two. Clint, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. How are you doing? Tom, what's up, man? I'm I'm doing really well. I'm honored to be on the show. I'm excited and uh Dude, yeah, it's a, it's an honor for me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So Clint, here's the thing. I feel like I know you far more than you know me because I've used a video of yours that has well over a million views. I feel like a hundred thousand of them or so have probably been Tom Murray hitting play to share with educators on um, the Mr. Jensen story. And you talk about this single moment in time from an educator and the impact. And you know, here on Leading Through Unprecedented Times, it's, you know, our audience is superintendents, principals, and we'll get some teachers as well, but it's really that impact of an educator. Talk to us about that Mr. Jensen story. Yeah, I believe in moments, Tom. Like we don't remember days, we remember moments. And one of those moments happened for me as a young kid. I was the, the, the child that just could never sit still. I would, I would move my right hand, my left hand. I still have a hard time sitting still. And everybody saw that as a problem, right? If you're sitting in a room and someone's clicking their pen or they're tapping their foot, you're just like, for all that is sacred and holy, stop. It's just, it's annoying. And I got called the twitcher. I got called the tapper. I got sent to the principal's office. Principal told me to sit on my hands. That worked for like five seconds. And it, it was it was a continual problem until one day there was a teacher and his name was Mr. Jensen. And he told me to stay after class. And I thought, you know, this is it. Like I'm getting kicked out of school as a, as a 10 year old. And everybody left. It's a completely empty room minus me and Mr. Jensen. He takes me to the back and he looks at me and he says, listen, you, I know you're the kid on the list. You're the kid that everybody talks about. You, they talk about you in the faculty room. I know the kids tease you. You tap in my class. You tap in everybody else's class. He said, but I've, I've watched you though. And you'll start moving your right hand and then you write with, with your left hand. And then you can switch it. You'll write with your right hand and then you, you start tapping with your left hand and your feet can do it. And he just said, Clint, I think you're ambidextrous. And I was like, I'm Presbyterian. And he said, no, that's not what that means. That is not what that means. He said, can you tap your head and rub your belly at the same time? He said, just try it. And I gave it a go and I could do it without thinking about it. And then he said, he said, then can you switch it? He said, then can you rub your head and then tap your belly? And back and forth, I just had that ability. And he leaned back in his chair and he smiled and he just said, Clint, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. And again, I, I believe in the power of moments. And when great leaders design and create moments in the lives of their peoples, or, and the people that they lead, that's what creates a better story. That's what creates stronger loyalty. And in that moment, Mr. Jensen, he opened up his top drawer and he reached inside and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks, my very first pair. And he took those sticks and he handed them to me and he said, listen, 
I want to give these to you. And I I don't know what's going to happen, but you have to promise me that you'll just keep them in your hands as long as you can. And that was 22 years ago, man. And I can honestly stand here today and say that 22 years ago to literally this exact day, I have tried my best to keep my promise to Mr. Jensen. And for 22 years, I've had the opportunity to tour and record all over the world as a professional drummer. I've been on America's Got Talent. I've played drums with Tim McGraw, Carrie Underwood, uh, the Blue Man Group. I started the Green Man Group when I was in college. I, I, I remember when I was in high school, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And so what do you do when you graduate and you have no idea? You go to college, right? <laughs> it's a joke. Um, I went to school and I graduated in 2012 with a bachelor's degree in zero college debt, zero. And that was from music scholarships. And, and I'm not saying all of that, Tom, to go, wow, good for you. Or like, wow, what a list of accolades, Clint. That's not the reason. The reason I tell that story is because of one person who decided in education to advocate for a person, not just develop them. And wow. I think that principle is so key in how we work and develop children, how we work and develop our staff. How do you create an environment where students, teachers, the janitorial staff, whatever it is in your organization, how do we create a culture where they go, I like myself best because I'm here. You know, I don't just like what I do, but I like who I am while I'm here. And Mr. Jensen did that in a way that obviously transformed my life. He created a moment that made my story better. Yeah, we talk about all the time here on this show, we talk about the impact of educators. And I have chills just listening to you rehash the story from over two decades ago because of a single moment in time. And an educator looking at you saying in those words, you're not a problem. I think you're a drummer. Seeing things that you didn't see inside yourself. So absolute incredible there. Thank you for sharing part of that story. So let me ask you this. I know you're working with a lot of school districts around the country. You get to share in person stories like that and the impact of a teacher with district. But I also know you've spent a lot of time with corporate America and you're now known as the undercover millennial. Like you've interviewed, what is it, about 10,000 people or so that you've interviewed, talked us about the work of the undercover millennial and what you're looking for in the world of work. Because when I think about my principal superintendents listening to this podcast, that's them on the other end. They're doing lots of hiring. They're doing lots of training. They're, they're leading people. What are you yep. finding as the undercover millennial? Yeah. So the undercover millennial program started five years ago and I was a part of a mastermind group in New York city. And we were meeting with other CEOs, executives on how they did business and what was working for them. And this gentleman talked about how they've had to adapt in their business because if you don't adapt, you're going to die. <laughs> and I agreed with him. And then, and then he said something interesting. I asked, I asked the question, what about your management style? Have you had to change how you manage your employees today versus how you managed 20 years ago? And he fired back and he said, no, no. He said, the way I manage today is the same way I managed 20 years ago and we get results. And I thought it was really interesting because he felt the need to adapt in his business, right? In an education world, think about it. You're using technology differently. The, the world of education has evolved and so has how, how teachers and how we teach, how we work, how we hire, how we fire, all of those things, they adapt. But then he talked about his, his management and how there was, there was no need to change. And we're in his store and I looked around and I, I remember seeing all of his employees and they were my age or younger. And I just thought, I thought to myself, I wonder if they would say the same thing. I wonder if they would have the same, you know, philosophy that everything this guy was doing, everything that he was 
creating in his business was, was wonderful. And so I thanked the guy for his time. We had about 35 minutes to kill until we went to the next place. And I took that time and I went up to one of his employees and I looked like this. I had a backwards hat on, I, you know, regular clothes. And I just walked up to them as a customer. And I said, what's it like to work here? I'm just curious. And the employee kind of looked around, got quiet. It felt like it was an illegal drug exchange. <laughs> and, then, and then the employee said, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah. And he said, I can't stand it here. I, I just, I literally, I'm a number in a cog. And I, I don't even know if my manager knows I'm here right now. I, I, we're not happy. Uh, it's just a job. And then I said, well, why are you here then? Like, why don't you go somewhere else? And he said, I've already applied to three other places. And I thought, okay, well, maybe the guy's just having a bad day. So I went and asked another employee and another and another and another. And in that 35-minute time, I interviewed six employees. And at the end of those six interviews, five of his employees said they would not be working for this guy and his store in less than three and a half months. Five out of the six were gone mentally. They were disengaged from their work and they were already looking for another job and to go somewhere else. And I remember thinking, what a, what a difference between the perception of what leadership sees and what the really, like the reality is of the employees on the floor. And that was the moment for me that started my whole organization. Five years ago, we started the Center for Employee Retention and the underlying initiative was through the Undercover Millennial Program. The cool part about all of that is they told me the truth because I wasn't a survey. I wasn't a, a, a manager. I didn't work with the organization. I was literally a young person walking through the doors and saying, hey, I'm just looking for, for work. I'm looking for a job. What's it like? I just, I'm just curious. And then they tell me everything. And we've, we've done that for, you know, like I said, for five years, we've worked with 181 organizations and I've been able to interview over 10,000 employees. And the magic of all of the research was not when an employee was dissatisfied with their job. The magic was when I would go up to an employee and say, what's it like to work here? And they would respond with, I love it here. I love my district. I, love, I, I mean, our superintendents, they care. The other teachers, we've been here forever. We've got a culture that's all student-based. We focus on advocating. It's not just about curriculum. Like, I, I love it. I love my job. And then when I would go to the next teacher, and they would say the same thing. And then the next, and when that type of response would trend in an organization and it was beautiful to see what the leaders were doing to create organizations that people never wanted to leave. Ooh. And that's where the book came to be. And it is the five years of our research. And I titled it, I love it here, how great leaders create organizations that people never wanted to leave. Wow. So that again, powerful stuff. And it, it doesn't ma matter if you're working with some fortune 500 company or you're some small school district, everything that you just said around leadership and cultures, a hundred percent relevant. So I want to dive in further to that because let's face it. When I look at some statistics related to education in our field, you know, superintendents pre COVID were staying about three and a half years. Post-COVID, uh, that number's going down. Teachers, I read an article this morning how teachers are, they're, they're leaving. Stress is insanely high. Anxiety is insanely high. We're asking teachers to do more and more with less and less and do it remotely and do it hybrid and do it in person and, and all these pieces. And so the, the, the what 
as a whole in education, we are losing people left and right. And we also even see numbers in colleges of kids that are going into school to say they want to be a teacher are way, way down. So the leadership and culture side is a non-negotiable. And here at Future Ready Schools, it's really the heart and soul of what we do. So in your new book, and thanks for giving it a shout, because I will tell you, if you're listening, that is going to be on my nightstand. Comes out, what is it, mid-April, I believe it comes out? Because again, around leadership, around culture, around leading organizations where people say, I love it here. And not because the boss is standing right next to them because they truly feel it. Because what do we know? We know in those environments, we know that people are going to give through all and run through walls for people because they want to do it because they believe in the purpose. They believe in the mission. They feel loved. They feel cared about. But the flip side is also true. We also know where people aren't invested. They'll walk right out at the first opportunity. They'll leave to go somewhere else. And all the training and time we put into those folks walks out the door with them. So let's dive into some of that research. I'm fascinated by this. I know you talk about four different types of managers. And when we think about school districts, we're looking at principals running their own buildings. We're looking at superintendents. Talk to us about the four different types of managers and what you found in your research. Yeah. In every school district, there are four types of administrators. Okay. Four types of superintendents. Uh, they, they did. They're, they're, yeah, they just exist everywhere. And there's two variables that we need to focus on because if a teacher was satisfied or dissatisfied with the culture, the district, the leadership, the curriculum, whatever it is, it was always two variables that I could bring it back to as to why they were. And number one was the standards and the expectations of the leader. And number two was their ability to connect. Those two variables or the lack thereof of both of those variables. So the first administrator that we find is the removed administrator. This is, this is the, the, the principal that like should have retired 20 years ago. Like they're just burnt out. They're tired. They, they, they're in the school, but they are not into the school. And, and so they're low on their standards. Okay. I, I, you know, I don't know if you didn't show up to teach your class, I have no idea. And I don't really care. Just, just, do your thing, right? <laughs> and they're also low on connection. They wander the halls and they go, I have no idea who that is. I don't know if you teach history. I don't know if you're the English teacher. I don't know. I don't know. Just, yeah, welcome back to school. <laughs> so what does this create in the culture? It creates removed teachers. The administrators are removed. So why should the, why should the teacher be involved in the culture? Why should the teacher be involved in, in the leadership in the district and, and, and moving the ship forward? But number two is the buddy administrator. This is, the, this is the administrator that wants to be everybody's friend. They're really high on connection, but they're really low on standards and expectations. They, they're looking for approval. They don't want to ruffle feathers. They don't want to tick off the teacher that's been here forever. They're the, they're the, new, they're the new guy. They're the new gal in, in, in the district. So they want to be everybody's friend. So what that creates is a sense of entitlement where they almost become buddies. They become friends. They become homies with all of the teachers. And then there's almost this, this sense of where the teacher becomes more of the, 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 the principal than the principal does because they allow that. It's strong connection, low on standards. And then number three, uh, and unfortunately the most common is the controlling administrator. This is where we find a lot of administrators that uh, fear-based tactics. It's that old command and control. Put your head down, don't complain to me. Like be glad that we give you a paycheck. Don't whine. Don't whine to me. I know it's hard. I know we're all doing Zoom. And don't, don't whine. I don't care. It's COVID. What else do you expect? You know, show up and do your job. You're hired to be a teacher. Be a teacher. And so they're really high on standards, but 
but they're low on connection. So what does this create? Rebellion. Pushback. This is where you have a principal that is constantly going toe-to-toe with all of the teachers. They're not going shoulder-to-shoulder. But the fourth administrator, this was the magic. 37 of, uh, of all of the 181 organizations I worked with were school districts. And so going in and seeing this type of administrator was a beautiful thing. And I call them the mentor administrator. They were equally high on their standards. They understood that, yes, there is curriculum. Yes, there is development. Yes, we have a job and responsibility to the student and the community to, 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 to grow and to develop and to create a good culture. But they also understood that teachers are humans, that teachers have a life outside of the classroom, that they, they understood that they're people. They knew how to empathize and connect and advocate for teachers. And what did this create? Respect. They weren't always liked, but they were respected. And there's a reason why we call them the mentor administrator, because it was mentorship, not leadership per se. Uh, leadership is, you know, you are the leader. You have the direction. You're, you're given the theme for the year. You want to take the school from point A to point B to point C. That's not mentorship. Mentorship is about taking care of the people on the ship, walking with them, connecting people to their dreams. And, and the beautiful thing is that mentorship can't be earned. It, or it couldn't be a title. Excuse me. It could not be a title. It had to be earned. It had to be earned because if you look at any great, you know, story, any great film or a playwright, you always have, you know, the hero of the story. And then who shows up? It's the mentor, right? Luke Skywalker. Who shows up? Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? I love Rocky. I'm a big Rocky fan. Who shows up in Rocky? Mick, right? Uh, Frodo had Gandalf. Aladdin had the genie, right? Simba had Mufasa, whatever. I mean, any great story, there's always the hero or the teacher in the story. And then who appears? the great administrator, the mentor. And it it was because of who the mentor was that gave that hero, gave the teacher a reason to connect with them. And mentorship, anybody that was a mentor administrator had five characteristics. And if you want to become this as an administrator, you have to have these five C's or it just doesn't work. And number one is, is confidence. Number two is credibility. Number three is competence. Number four is the ability to have candid conversations. And number five is the ability to care. You cannot become a mentor without those five qualities. If your teachers in your district look at you as an an administrator and you are not confident in your leadership, in where you want to go, the direction you want to take, if you don't have credibility, I think that some of the strongest principles Uh, superintendents have been in the classroom before they have credibility. They have a background in education that allows them to, they're qualified to speak and talk about what they're talking about, but also competence, right? It's one thing to sit up there and talk about curriculum and development and where we need to go and what we're trying to do. But, but can you actually do it yourself? Are you in the trenches? Are you just the person that's sitting back and calling all the shots and then candid conversations Are you someone that's going to give me honest feedback? Have you built a relationship that's so strong that honesty can exist? Whereas an administrator, it's like, you know, the bank account thing, right? You put those deposits of trust in with your people. And so then it allows you to make some withdrawals. It's good because, again, we've got to have standards. We've got to have expectations. 
And so if we have those high levels of connection, it helps. No significant loyalty ever happens without significant connection. And that's why the last C of caring is so crucial. You know, I, I, if you don't care about the people that you serve, the people that you lead, you should not be in leadership. You should not be in an administration. But again, those, those are what qualified someone to become that significant role in the lives of others. That is brilliant, my friend. And I've got to tell you, I've been over your head nodding as you take, and I think my head's about to go off on a spindle because I'm just taking this all in. Brilliant work, brilliant research, so applicable. You know, at Future Ready, we also talk, we focus on that human side and we we look at like our support staff in our schools as the backbone to our building, our teachers being incredible leaders. And, you know, it's so easy in our world to point the finger, right? Like well, if my principal would actually just, my superintendent would find, if our governor would actually, that's so easy, but it's a lot harder to look in the mirror. And so when we think about every individual, one of the things that I know you wrote about, I'm here, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about this is really the, the hidden powers inside every employee. Talk to us about what you found, not just from the principal superintendent end, but you know, maybe I'm the, here's the words we've all heard it. Well, I'm just a classroom teacher. I'm just a building secretary, but you see hidden potential or or hidden powers in each one of them. Talk to us about what you see. Yeah. Every employee, every educator has potential and they have worth every one of them. And if your educators can't grow where they're at, they'll go and grow somewhere else, whether that's in the industry of education or it's outside of the industry of education. There's a lot of teachers right now that are bouncing and they're going to other districts because there's no potential. There's no opportunity to grow. Uh, Again, there's so many educators that are just surviving. Like most teachers right now, they feel like they're on an episode of Survivor. <laughs> Go, you know, vote me off. It has just been a year. 2021 has also just been a year. And, uh, you know, so the ability to communicate opportunity, right? And I look at Mr. Jensen, that story. And everybody, you know, what a, what a story. And I, I look at that as someone, again, who was impacted by that story massively. And he did two things. Only two things for me, Tom. He communicated my potential. He gave me something to believe in, something to grow into. But then he also communicated my worth. He said, who you are is enough. And you're not a problem. I see you and I see the good. And then he gave me the tools to become that. He gave me the drumsticks, right? And so when we talk about worth, you have to think about recognition, and I think that educators are so often undervalued. They are under-recognized, under-appreciated. And every good teacher wants to be seen, heard, and understood. They all do. And, and we found in our research, when we were going undercover, when an employee would talk about a leader that was good at communicating the worth of their team members, there was always five things that we could bring it back to when an employee talked about, this is what I loved. This is the, I mean, they just recognize this in this way. It was always one of these five things. And uh, number one was vocal praise. It's really interesting because it costs a company zero dollars to do that. Like I'm talking about the, you know, that of boys, that of girls. Tom, we talked about, you know, that 30 second interaction. You got 30 seconds with somebody to create a moment uh, where they go, man, that was, I like myself best because of you. That was a great conversation. You complimented me. You asked how I was doing. Uh, really vocal praise, you know, taking the time. If something happens great in an educator's life or within your, your, your district, take the time to, to 
vocally praise them, whether that's picking up a phone, right? It seems so 2018, right? The phone. You know, it's not a Zoom call. It's a, it's a phone call or a handwritten note, letting them know. Uh, experiences was, was number two. We, that's a little bit harder right now because of COVID. Uh, but they talked about, you know what, the school district, you know, the, the principal came up and gave me and my wife tickets to the, to the local show because he knows how much we love theater. It gave us an experience. We all went axe throwing as, as a district. It was wild. It was so fun. We got out of the, the gymnasium or the, we got out of the auditorium and we went and we did something together. Experiences was a great way to recognize people. Uh, time off and flexibility, uh, allowing some flex in the scheduling. I know that's harder. It's sometimes easier in the corporate world to, you know, to give everybody Fridays off or to give everybody, you know, Thursday early out. It's a little bit harder in education, but if you can understand that, you know, maybe they are a, a mom, they've got four kids at home and they want to be a part-time teacher. How do we make that work? How do, how do we make, give you some flex there? Uh, and then money. Money was number four. Anybody who says that people don't care about money or millennials don't care about money, it's just not true. Money matters. You know, if we can increase someone's pay or maybe it's giving somebody an Amazon gift card for 50 bucks because they're just, they, they've been killing it or they've done something that's unique. Uh, money matters. Uh, and then uh, the interesting thing, the last one is I call it toys or awards. Uh, trophies, like think Letterman's jacket. Think, uh, you know, something that gets passed around the district that the teacher gets to hold on to for the year because they were the teacher of the year, right? Or something that means something, something that people would put on their wall. People talked about it. You know, corporate world, corporate America, it's like the gold watch, right? You've got that gold watch, it means something. And so when great leaders could create something that meant something to that culture and they recognize somebody in that way, it really mattered. Now, all of these things needed to be personalized because some teachers, they might be like, dude, just give me the gift card to Amazon. I would love the money. I don't want Hamilton tickets, right? I don't want to go to a, you know, a movie. I don't want to go axe throwing. I'd like the money or I would just, the time off. And I think, I think when leaders create that environment where they can communicate, where they can ask those questions. Tom, you've heard this story about the fish, right? The, the guy that's like, okay, if you, want to, if you want to feed a man a fish, then you feed him for a day, right? If you want to teach the guy though, if you can teach the man how to fish, then you feed him for a lifetime. Every time I hear that, I go, who said the guy wanted a fish? <laughs> who said the guy wanted a fish? I'm not really a fish guy. Uh, the point is we have to ask. Ask. Sometimes we think that we know what they want. You're better off asking. Personally. Yeah, which again comes back to knowing your people, right? And the relationship and the showing that you care and diving into that. So let me ask you one final question. I'm only going to give you a minute here. Principal or a superintendent, picks up the phone, they call Clint Pulver, you've got one minute and they say, Clint, I really want my folks to say, I love it here. I'm tired of people leaving, their people are burned out. Uh, we've got a culture that's not a great spot. Give me the best advice that you can in one minute on what would you respond to them? Give them some advice, give them some hope. What do you got? Yeah, I think it, pick, up the, pick up the phone and conduct what I call a status interview. And the status interview consists of three questions. And I believe every teacher deserves to be asked these three questions. Number one is what can we do to keep you here? Number two is what is getting in the way of your success at this school? And number three is what can I do to help you get there? Those three questions, every teacher deserves to be asked by their leader uh, because you need to know their status. 
You need to know how they're doing. And it is your job to advocate for them, to block for them, to make the teaching experience better for them so they can make the teaching experience better for the, for the kids, for the students. Yeah. That's incredibly it. insightful, Clint. Glad to be. Last piece. I said that was the last one, but I was so in tune with that. I don't want this interview to end because I'm so in tune with the things that you're saying. I'm going to give you an open mic, open forum. Educators this year have been through the ringer. They're doing it all, not just 24-7. They're doing it. We call it like 25-8. They're just not stopping. And it's been about a year since their world's flipped upside down. They're doing things in new and different ways. They're teaching or leading through this global pandemic. Fear and anxiety are higher than they've ever been. Standards still remain high. Hi, what's what's something that you want to share with educators um, in any realm? Open mic, based on the work that you've seen and that you that they've been doing. Yeah, I love the film, the, the movie Sandlot, where you have those kids that hit the you know the punk kids that hit the ball over the, the field and they, the dog that's going to rip their face off. But in that story, in that movie, there's Benny. You remember Benny Tom? Yep. Yep. He he, uh, he has the dream, and Babe Ruth appears to Benny in the dream, and there's like that iconic saying when he leaves and he goes. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. And I, I want to switch that. I would switch that because this would be my thought. And, and this is what I would want to tell educators. Sure. Heroes get remembered, but Mr. Jensen's never die. Ooh. We never, we never forget the good ones ever. And I, you know, if you were to say, you know, if I were to ask who are the last three NFL MVPs or who are the last two Miss Americas in the world? Or could you tell me who the last two Academy Award winners were for best actor? Nobody knows. But if I were to tell you to tell me the name of the one teacher who made a difference in your life, do you remember their name, Tom? A hundred percent. could tell you, Mr. Stalbo. Exactly. We never forget the good ones because they were the teachers that got to the part about us. And that would be my miss. You matter. You matter. And sometimes you only see kids for that certain period of time and then they leave and you have no idea if you made an impact or not. But every day when you show up and you communicate that potential and that worth, when you design moments where students and other teachers like themselves best because of you in the classroom, you get to live a life of significance, not just a life of success. And the heroes, yes, they might get remembered, but the Mr. Jensen's never die. We never forget the good ones. And that is the opportunity and the privilege you have in the classroom every day. That's Clint Pulver, everybody. Clint, thank you so much for your encouraging, your inspiring words for the work that you do. The book is called, I Love It Here. We'll be here in April. Clint, I'm so excited to read it. Thanks for being here today, my friend. It's a pleasure, Tom. Thank you. 